0: Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church, on mission, everywhere, every day. Now, we believe this is gonna require first, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church actually starts to become unified and collaborating in a region around five key initiatives that we see the apostle Paul repeat over and over and over again, especially uh, the pattern can be seen in in Acts 13 and 14. Those five are citywide prayer, healthy leaders, disciple-making strategies, serving the city in tangible ways that people can see the kingdom of God breaking in, And then starting new churches or new kingdom initiatives. Now in this episode, I'm going to get to talk to a longtime friend of mine. He's one of the OGs of so much good work in terms of missional living and finding tangible kingdom expressions of what Jesus is all about in a city and a place. And so Hugh Halter is with us. I'm, I'm so honored to be with you, Hugh. We've been at this for a long, long time. Uh, it just means old guy. Uh, I think it's old guy though. At the microchurch conference, that's, I don't know if you were even in the room. I think one of the guys got up and said, Hey, there's two OGs in the, in the house that we need to honor (laughs) when they
1: did that. I was in the lobby. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So we're, we're the old guys, man. in in that particular group, so, but you've been at this a long time and, um, Uh, You're just a a great example of one who's been faithful. You've suffered a lot. Things haven't gone easy, um, and yet you've remained faithful. So thanks for being with me. And I'm sure most people know who you are, but just for the sake of those who might not, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you've been
1: spending your time on these days. Uh, I assume nobody knows me just based on my Daughter Allie oh. in high school said, so, Dad, just because people know you in the Christian world it still means you're nobody in the real, in the real world. <laughs> I was
0: walking um, through an airport once and someone recognized me. My, my kids are like, are you famous? I'm like, no, 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 no. There's like this small Christian community. Every once in a while you run into somebody in it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, we, uh, Jeff, good to be with you. I, uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. So I'm a Northwest guy, as you know. Uh, Our family uh, kind of started there, planted a church in Portland, then off to Denver, Colorado, did what we call the Tangible Kingdom story. And now we are in a little struggling town called Alton, Illinois, um, for round number three, as we say. And uh, it's a cool story. Maybe another time we'll get to share that story. But uh, yeah, it's just great to be with you. Talk about family stuff today.
0: Yeah, and I know uh, we don't have time to go into it, but you you just had a uh, a really hard time with your daughter getting really sick and seeing God heal, so you come in with a tenderness right now as a father into this conversation around family. So,
1: yeah, I actually thought three days ago we were going to be doing the memorial service. Like it's funny how you you kind of you start thinking all that stuff. Like that's going to be the weekend where. People flying from all over and, but she, she rallied and looks mm. like she's going to live a good full life, but, uh, yeah, her, uh, McKenna she's 27. She came here with us with her husband, Jesse grew up in the projects of San Bernardino and, uh, they joined us as, as well as our oldest daughter, Allie, who's 29, her husband, Matthew, uh, also from Los Angeles. But we all ended up in Alton together as like a family decision we all made together. Like, let's go to this little town and see if we can do something to help the town, but also start a life together. And uh, so, yeah, thinking about you know our our oldest son Ryan died uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So thinking about losing two of my three was a really uh, testing time for Cheryl and I. So we're we're glad we <laughs> we're getting to keep the two uh, the two girls right now. So oh man, yeah.
0: I mean, people everywhere rallied to pray for you guys. And even just before we started this podcast, you and I were reflecting on God's miraculous intervention and, and your neediness yeah. for him. And yeah, it's it's such a blessing to have a family all in together. And I know you've got a new book out, coming out. And I'm curious, you know, both about the title as well as uh,
1: the motive for why you wrote it. Yeah, it's called The Righteous Brood. I can't actually remember, but I remember the title came to me uh, just right out of the blue. And I had to look up the word brood. And it was, it was kind of familyish. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going with it. But we had uh, we had initially started writing that many years ago, um, probably eight to 10 years ago. We did a little four-chapter deal for Exponential, for church planters. Um They just wanted a quick ebook. So I I began to kind of write down the story of things that we had experienced as a family on mission. Uh, We had always done church as a network of missional communities. So, you know, probably the most common question I've been asked over all these years, you know, you can be doing an eight hour training and the hallway conversations are always, what do you do about money? And what do you do with the kids type of thing? Um, Because we're really talking about a life as a missionary family where you're not just going to church and dropping the kids off anymore. You're actually building church as a family. Like my kids never got to go to like a youth group or, a, an age appropriate Sunday school. And, uh, so a lot of people began to ask us about like, Hey, okay, what are you doing about that? What do you, you know, you talk about all these people in your house and these big parties, you know, what about the booze and how do you keep your kids off the weed? I mean, it was, it was a million different questions. So we just started to write down some of that stuff. And then uh, when How do you keep I, your I think, kids off the weed, <laughs> off the weed and off the pole, those were the two <laughs> like, goals of an evangelical family. Um, but then we got here at Alton and you know, all of a sudden, I think it was probably two or three years in, I was just walking down the road one day going, holy cow. Like my adult children are with us on mission and they're the best missionaries I know. And I just thought, well, we should probably finish that book now and just talk about kind of the full circle of what it means, not just to raise kids that end up being amazing missionaries, but what it is like to actually go on mission as a family. So that that's kind of the backdrop of the book. Its uh, subtitle is what, uh, Making the Mission of God a Family Story. So this isn't about, you know, how to get your kids babysat while you do a Bible study with your friends. This is about the development of Jesus in our kids, instead of just trying to have religious kids or moral kids. This is about raising kids that would actually be willing to give their lives for the gospel someday, if called upon. So, it's sort of not entry level. Um, it's not for parents that just want to make sure their kids are safe. So, we we challenge some issues of what the role of a of a parent is. Uh, what's what's a biblical principle of developing the life of Jesus in our kids and so, yeah, so that's, that's why the book we, and then we, uh, yeah, just released last week and it's in a line of books that I'm writing, uh, it's called life as mission series. Cause I, I want people to, to know that your life is actually the mission. Um, your life is what it's the letter that's read by everybody. And I will tell you like, since we've been in Alton, the most common thing that I hear sometimes is a, a tap on the shoulder at a supermarket, or it's a couple that comes across the CrossFit gym and, stands there with their spouse and just said, hey, we've just been wanting to tell you something for a long time. And they say, we're just glad that your family moved to our town like you guys have made a difference. So the most common thing I hear is like literally that people look at our family and they watch us and they've watched us mourn the death of our first you know, son They watched us with McKenna's scenario last couple weeks, but that's what people seem to like. They never come up to me and go, Halter, you're just an amazing guy. I've never heard that. They will always say your family is amazing. And somehow it, it begins to witness of something bigger. And I think ultimately it's a huge question for any parent. Like, what am I doing? Am I living a story that's big enough to even hold the attention of my children, let alone cause them to want to, to reproduce the story that they heard and saw growing up. So um, it's not a big book. Uh, everybody knows me. I don't like to read or write. So it's a short little sucker. Even the dudes, I think, could get into this. But it's not have your wife read it to you by bedtime. Okay. <laughs> So what,
0: what are some of the highlights? Like, I know you don't want to give the book away completely cause you want people to read it, but what, what would be some of the highlights that when you look at how you created this kind of environment for your family to be a family on mission together, what were the principles? What were the practices? What were some things that just stand out that you guys did that you go, man, if everybody just did some of these things, it would be really helpful.
1: Yeah. Well, one is suffering. So there's a chapter towards the back called broken trees and that's really a story of Ryan's life. Uh, you know, he had grand mal seizures, probably about ten a day his whole life. So um, that's why we ended up doing missional community. We actually couldn't just leave the house as a family; it was very difficult. So we just said, "We're just going to open up our house and make our house the front door of mission." So it was a deliberate intention. We weren't actually—I mean, people thought we were house church people. We're just like, no, we can't—we can't leave the house. So we're not trying to do any form of church. We're—we just are trying to live our life and. I think for a while, you know, there were times where we did not want people to see Ryan have a seizure. We thought it would disrupt the meeting or make it awkward. And over time, we just thought this is our life. We might as well invite people into it. And uh, it was Ryan's uh, daily struggle that I think coalesced our, our first missional community. People actually started to love Ryan. They'd take care of him. If he was having a seizure, they would go sit on the couch next to him, and they'd let me keep teaching through Romans or whatever. And if he wet himself, they'd, they'd take him up to the bathroom and you know get him in the bathtub with Cheryl. So we just started to realize our lives are literally whatever cards we're dealt. If we're dealt a hand and we look at the cards, we go, I, uh, I don't want to play that one. I'd rather have three kings and two aces. I go, no, um, some of the most inspiring things in our lives are what we suffer through as a family. So you know that's probably a key thing. I think most families may not go through the severity of what we went through, but they're going to go through something. Yeah, and um, so that's that's a key
0: one, um, Hugh. Before you go on, the what comes to my mind it, when you're saying that is like you know, even Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. You know, it's like yeah. we don't yeah. we don't tend to think that that actually is not only the sanctifying. Work of God, but also one of the most profound mission uh, expressions of what God is like in the world when He joins us in our suffering. So,
1: totally. yeah. And I was even thinking, like, even with what we were going through with McKenna this last couple of weeks, we have a very small community here in Alton. It's, it's 50 people. So, we have a, a very vibrant missional community, maybe the most impressive group of people I've ever been with. They're just salt and light. They serve. They We, we live life together. Everybody lives within about a mile and a half. Mm-hmm. So we see each other almost every day at the coffee shop and other stuff we're doing. And the way that they family upped around this trouble that we were in, people were watching everybody. And so, you know, the other element that I really wanted people to know about, the book really isn't about just your family. It's it's your family in context of the church and how God builds the church. And so I don't want people to, in fact, I think first or second chapter, we talk about Metro. I'm actually using the movie, The Incredibles as a backdrop. So if you ever remember The Incredibles, Bob Parr was the dad. Uh, my kids actually tell me that I have the body of Bob Parr, big old barrel chest and little skinny you know, <laughs> pigeon legs. But the incredible is, if you remember the movie, you know, Bob and his family, they're, they're living a normal life in Metroville, and then they have these superpowers. So I'm, I'm goofing around with that a little bit, that um, we all live in Metroville. Uh, the the scriptures would call it Babylon, call it Rome. We're living in an environment that we're not in control of. Um, the powers, uh, prince and power of the air, the way the world just operates, that's Metroville, and it has some currents or some things that pull us back into, you know, specifically I talk about pulls us into individualism, consumerism, and materialism. Hmm. Those are the three things that almost any dad or mom goes, ah, we'd love to go on mission, but we just, ah, you know, working two jobs and trying to get our kids to be able to afford the hockey program. And they just get stuck in this worldly uh, malaise of pressures and, and debt and time constraints. So um, part of this is to go, okay, the church is an alternative community that God builds on the earth. It's not a community that just should, you know, if the world is spinning clockwise, the church should be spinning counterclockwise. So the, the primary mode of standing against the current, if you will, was the family. That's where people, that's why when you read the new Testament, you see families and tribes all coming to faith together um, because that's how people lived, and so um, you know, there's a good bit of, I guess, uh, challenge not to live according to the way of Babylon. Mm-hmm. So scripture in Revelation that the prophets going, you know, John's going, look, oh uh, Babylon, oh Babylon, you know, come out of her, lest you take part in her sins. There's that's the call of the church. It's the call of being a mom and dad is don't live into the currents of the world and therefore don't let your kids grow up with the same uh, pressure. Like these, we should be a counterculture movement. So the family as a unit in your neighborhood might be the only thing that, where people go, "Uh, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about Mm. the way that they do everything. and, And that should be a visible witness.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, when Jesus' family's kind of freaking out because they don't know what's going on with him. He's lost his mind or something. And, you know, they, he's told, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are out there looking for you. And he's like, who are my brothers and sisters? But those who do the will of my father. And when that's true of your family, that your blood family is also your true brothers and sisters because they're really doing the will of the father together. It's a pretty remarkable witness to the world.
1: Yeah, we actually had to take quite a bit of time and disclaimer the book throughout the book where we say reminder god's family trumps your nuclear family yeah and that's actually can be good news so there's a lot of people that might be reading it that go look i don't have a real functional family i don't i'm a single mom i got three kids and uh, you might be a single person yeah you're still a part of the family of god and so you can build a righteous brood even if it's not nuclear, right? If you don't have, you know, if a dad was estranged years ago or, you know, you're porn and alcohol addiction, you lost your family, it doesn't matter. God's still building his family and you get to be a part of it. So, yeah, this is not just mom and dad and three kids. Um, but it also, you know, it's challenging that, you know, that's the aspect of going on mission. If you let God lead your family, he has all sorts of brothers and sisters that he's going to bring into your literal family. And you've got to be open to that. So we have a a chapter where I'm basically giving them the secret sauces of the halter life. But I I see them in the life of people in the new Testament, the old Testament. And I see it in the life of missionaries that have inspired me. But uh, I talk about having an open table, open home, uh, open book, uh, open road, you know, just some, like when I go like, You'll create missionaries if you do these things and that open home is maybe the most important. Cheryl and I, mm. um, it didn't matter where we live. We always had high school kids living with us, single moms with a middle schooler. We just, and, and we would literally renovate our home so that we could hold people. And now my daughter's doing foster care and, uh, you know, just kind of like, cause they were used to that when I mean, it was, it was usually their friends. They would go, Hey mom, I got our friend. And they don't have a place to live, and they have a blown apart family. They'd always come to us and go, "You think we've got room." And so our kids grew up always knowing that we've got room. I love and, it uh, so that's that's biblical hospitality, right? It's just it's making
0: room for the the outsider or the stranger, and you just you you and I have so many similar convictions about that in terms of like, you you just, I mean, I often will say, you know, hospitality is making space for the stranger in my home, at our table, in my schedule, in our finances and
1: in my heart. You know, it's like, it takes all of them and and by the way, it's not cool. It sucks. (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) we, We took in a, we took in a family of six, Uh, Two years ago, their mother was killed in a car wreck and it was her uh, lesbian gay lover that was the only one that was wanted to keep all the kids together. But she also grew up in foster care. So it was a 22-year-old young woman that was taking on all of these kids who had also been sexually abused in other foster care before they got to us. And we put them in the basement for six months and every night I would be looking at Cheryl going, Oh my gosh, we just made the worst decision of our life. Except that again, our kids were all brought into this. My my younger daughter, McKenna, was the actual social worker that set this up. It pulled in our whole community because we would we would text people on a text chain going, Halters are dying. <laughs> we need you know, so this is the, you know, so it's not like when you read these things, you go, okay, we'll just take in some people that don't no. I mean, this is a whatever the Lord would ask you to do with your home your meals. So the open table means that at any breakfast, lunch, or dinner, anybody might be there that God's going. You know, so as tired as Cheryl and I were. I remember we talked one time, we were like, well, we're still going to eat 21 meals. Uh, we know we're going to do that. We're not going to miss a meal. So we might as well, let's figure out how we can share three, four, five, six, seven of those a week. And that's what we would do. We would invite, you know, a couple couples over a week for a Thursday night dinner I go grab breakfast at the diner with, you know, 10 guys on Monday mornings, you know, whatever it was, but we just went, let's just at least invite people to our table. So uh, I do share a story of uh, a very powerful Easter one time, because generally we would invite, especially in Portland, Oregon, remember those days, Nobody had a functional family. (laughs) So, you know, when we would say, hey, if anybody doesn't have a place to go for Easter or Christmas or Thanksgiving. So it was always, it was 40, 50 people every time. And Cheryl would always make the, you know, the Easter eggs. But we would always ask everybody because they'd always be going, hey, can I bring three friends? Yeah, just make sure you give us their names. And Cheryl would make sure that everybody had an egg. And when they'd all get in there, we'd go, okay. And there'd be little tables set up all throughout the house. We'd go, go find your name. And people would literally come to faith in our house over one little egg because they didn't know anybody even knew their name. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is not rocket science, but it is living in intentionality where, um, you know, where your kids also, they start to go, oh, we can invite our friends anytime. And mom and dad are not going to be, you know, bugged by it but they also start to learn that like the big holidays are not just family times. Like this is like, it's public times. And, yeah. But we, we have a little section about making your house a pub, which just means a public house. Um, it's like the bar on every corner, but that's, that's the idea of a pub. It's, uh, in your neighborhood, if your house is not the social center, I think you're missing an opportunity.
0: Yeah. Another name for it is the local, right? It's like, yeah, cause that's where the locals hang. Yeah. I love that. What, what, what you have done so well is you've taken what you would already do anyway, and you've invited others to do it with you. It it really is in a lot of ways that simple. And yet, and you, you said this, I want to make sure I, I capture it. You couldn't do it alone either. Like you need help. And I think sometimes we try to figure out what we could do without help, which means we won't need community. So we stay in isolation. And then we yep. become overwhelmed with it. And it's like, no, no, okay. no. Take the things you'd normally do, invite people to do it with you. And then when you're, when it's too much for you, don't be afraid to ask everybody to help.
1: <laughs> and yep. it's, it, it's that mistake of isolation. It's also perfectionism. Mm. So I have a lot of people that go, look, my wife's not even into this stuff. Like I'd love to open up the house, but my wife's not into it or, or it's vice versa. So oftentimes we go, look, we're not really perfectly suited for hospitality. Um, and I think that's missing the mark on that. You know, I always joke, I remind people I'm an introvert. I don't like people like as a general rule. Like, um, I, <laughs> I, I love, I love like golfing even by myself. <laughs> or Like I might grab a buddy like you, you know, yeah. let's go golf with somebody I really like hanging out with. Um, so I just want people to know, like, this is not coming from an extrovert. This is, you know, especially I would get maybe one hour of sleep a night because I would sleep on Ryan's floor and do the night shift with him. So Cheryl would handle him during the day. So I generally, our whole marriage, I was exhausted. I was a house painter. So I would go off and paint. And so we're talking about finding a little bit of margin, a little bit of energy and just inviting people into that. And yeah, if, if we were always the ones hosting everything, I think I would have not made it, but it was always like, we would just tell people, Hey, the halters are gassed whose house can it be at this Thursday night? Or can we move the the Bronco party from our house to, you know, the McCall's house or whatever it is. And when you do that as a team, you can actually, like, what I love to do is call the party, get them all in the house. And then I head to the barbecue out in the back patio <laughs> and I just hope nobody discovers me like till halfway <laughs> through the party and it can work. You can still get quite the momentum out of your life if if you just do it as a community. Yeah. Yeah so good man I just, honestly i i even put in the book this book will not help you if you are wanting to live your individualistic life and drop your kids off at church and just hope that they stay off the weed or the pole this like it's not for you it's really written to a more robust missionary or missional community type of a family that goes we've already decided we're not just going to go to church we're actually going to be the church And so we we need some guides for what to do with our kids along the way.
0: Mm. Well, increasingly more and more people are realizing that the life that Jesus came to give was much more than just an attendance at an event, but a, a whole life given to him. So
1: yeah, maybe the biggest nugget, you know, I was hoping that like when somebody lays this down, what do I want them just to take a big, deep breath and go, okay, from here on out, I want it to be this idea that I want to live a bigger story. Not only is that my kids can see, but that people around me can see. So I, I, I want people to know this is not like an evangelism tool to make your family cool enough where people like you. I think that will all happen. Um, but this is about your own spiritual life as a mom or dad or a person that you need to see the power of God show up. Like you need a bigger story yourself. So it's not literally little gimmicks on, on what to do to make your kids. Your kids are really only going to do what you do. <laughs> you know the, Everybody's discipling somebody. The world is going to disciple your kids if you don't. So at the end of the, the day, I want the mom or dad to put the book down and go, man, I want a bigger story. And even if you have to like go to your teenagers who have never seen you on mission and go, hey, can I just apologize? Like, I'm, I'm re-upping with Jesus, and your mom and I have been goofing around most of your life, and you haven't seen us really do anything more than pray before a meal. And we, just so you know, we're sorry about that. We haven't shown you much, but we're going to try to get on with the Lord in a different way, and you're welcome to come with us. But we're going to, you know, so I think that's the way to talk it through with your kids, yes. not act you know, and generally they're so gracious. They're you know, if you'll show some authenticity for the years that you've sort of let slide by, and say from this time on we're going to be more intentional. And you don't, you can't badge your kids to join you, but you can say, I hope that maybe our our new journey with the Lord might be a, just a little bit more attractive to you, and you're happy to join us anytime. You know, mm.
0: type I love that. I mean, that's 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 a redeemer God, right? That says hey, any moment you hear and respond, then it's a new day. There's new mercies today. And on a side note, I had to do that with my kids. I went through the last couple of years of an emotional uh, journey in terms of waking up to my heart. And as I became more alive as a parent and more emotionally engaged with them, I had to own the ways in which I wasn't you know, before. And I had a lot of regret and shame over that, but my oldest daughter said, to me she said dad here's the deal if you'd have done it right perfectly the whole life we wouldn't know the difference now we know the difference like we watched you change <laughs> like she's like that's more profound that that everybody can have an
1: opportunity to change so yeah they're so grace they're so gracious it's amazing yeah like my dad sorry about the last 12 years they're like no worries <laughs> let's go <laughs> i know
0: <laughs> so good yeah well hey if people want to uh get the book, find out more information about what
1: you're doing. Like what, where would you want them to go? Um, go to Hugh halter.com. Um, and you will see the resources. It, it goes with that happy hour book that we released a couple of years ago, trying to give them like the idea of like, okay, let's, let's talk about family stuff a little bit. And let's talk about what ho- a life of hospitality is. So you'll see both, uh, resources there. You can also just find them on Amazon. Um, and then we're going to do a third one because I wanted to do like the last thing I would say to a missional community, and it's going to be about the actual human qualities of what people find or, or sense when they're with us. Um, and we're hoping that one will be done by the end of the year. So maybe those three resources together can be a maybe a run through in your missional community or in your small group. I have uh, churches that are asking me to come, you know, share the story on a Sunday. And then sit around maybe a Sunday night and just do some family talk. So yeah. if anybody's leading congregation and they think that that would be helpful, they can always contact me through that huehalter.com site. We're happy to come and do that. So
0: Good, good. Well, anybody who's listening, I highly recommend that you take Hugh up on that. Um, not only is he really gifted at communicating this, but he's a living example. And he's also a great hang. Even though he says he's an introvert, you'll have a good time. So. <laughs> Yeah. Hugh, thank you so much for being with us.
1: My pleasure. Let's get that golf date on the calendar for Chambers Bay, my friend. Let's do it. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast.
0: I hope you were inspired and encouraged as well as receive some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're gonna provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it, is podcast2023, that's one word, all lowercase, podcast2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give To support the work of gospel saturation what we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell but the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and want to see more of it done so if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation send us an email at hello at saturate the world.com let us know you want to be a prayer partner and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world.